For the next few weeks, next week we'll obviously, with it being Easter Sunday, we're going to be uh, talking uh, about the resurrection, right? Because it's Sunday, it's Easter, so if you're not doing that, there's something incredibly wrong with you is what they tell you. And so we're going to be looking at the resurrection and the spiritual impact that that resurrection has on us on a day-in and day-out basis. So we'll be talking about that, but then for the next four weeks, except for except for next week with Easter, we're going to be talking about a little bit the method behind the madness of Invite Your One. We're going to take a break. We've been walking through ever since, really since September as a faith family through the Gospel of John. We're going to take a break, so we'll pick up John again at the first part of May. But leading up to Invite Your One, we're going to be talking about why. Why, why is inviting important? Why is it important for us as a, a church, a faith family, to think like missionaries? Why is that important? If you are a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus here this morning, I hope that you are here, that you got up this morning, you got here on a cold Midwest day, and you got here because you want to know the heart and mind of God. I hope that's, I hope that's your motive in coming. It ought to be our motive as believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, however we want to label ourselves, that we want to know the heart and mind of God. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, we read that about a year ago in some of our small groups. And if you haven't read that book, I encourage you to read it. But J.I. Packer, he says in that book, he says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here on this planet for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Let me read that again. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here on this planet for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. So as believers, when we become a, a Christian, a believer, once we enter into salvation, a child of God, we all enter into this journey, this pursuit of knowing God together. And it's a lifelong pursuit of knowing God, of getting to know his heart and his mind. Well, how do we know the heart and mind of God? What is God all about? What's the, what makes God tick? Have you ever thought that? What makes God tick? How do we know the heart and mind of God? Well, first through, through his word, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspired means breathed out. It comes from God's most innermost being at his core, his character is his word. He breathes it out so we can know him. It's inspired through his word, the Bible. So that's why during our, our community groups, our time here, our teaching time on Sunday mornings, everything we do when it comes to knowing God as a faith family must be centered on the word of God. It is inspired. It's breathed out by God. It comes from his innermost being. But second, when we know the heart and mind of God is, I don't want this to sound trite, but I couldn't think of any way to phrase this, is get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. 
So when you read through the Gospels, as we've been going through the Gospel of John as a faith family on Sundays, we've been seeing more and more about who Jesus is, his claims to deity, what Jesus did. When we see Jesus, what Jesus did, that is a reflection on God the Father. Because Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus came from the glories of heaven as God and came here on this planet to identify with you and I and to show us how to live. So following Jesus. So as we prepare for Invite Your One on April 29th, we need to know the heart and mind of Christ. We need to see people as Jesus sees them. So you might ask yourself, Adam, how does Jesus see people? When Jesus sees people, when God sees people, what does God see? Well, I'm glad you asked. So turn over to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Matthew chapter 9. And forgive me if I get a little bit emotional with this passage. Because when I was in college, I had the opportunity to work at a Christian camp in North Carolina as a counselor. Which meant, didn't mean I knew anything. It just meant that I was responsible for 8 to 10 middle school or high school boys for 12 weeks in the summer. So each week in the summer for 12 weeks, different church groups, youth groups would come to this camp. We'd have about 1,500 students there at this camp in North Carolina, and we would stay in cabins. And my job as a counselor was to be there with 8 to 10 uh, sometimes middle school boys, which was a trial, and I'll explain that in a minute, eight to ten middle school boys or high school boys, and basically they lived with me from Monday to, to Saturday. Um, God taught me a lot during those weeks. And I remember one specific week of camp, I just had one of those really rough groups. I had middle school boys, and as a former youth pastor, middle school boys, that's just a whole other calling. That's a whole other mission field, right? The, the cracking of the voice, the smell of axe on the body, if you know what that is, body spray, and to cover up their smell. And th- th- that, that, it's a, it's a really is a mission appeal. It's an unreached people group, is middle school boys. <laughs> and I was there with these middle school boys, and it was, it was probably Tuesday or Wednesday, and it felt like Saturday already. It was just one of those really difficult weeks. During one of those, the, during the first couple days, one of my middle school guys thought it'd be fun to get the fire extinguisher in the cabin and spray me, his counselor, down with the fire extinguisher. So you, you can get my, my riff. You know, you go to the, the, the bathhouse where the showers were, were and your towel and your, your, your stuff you'd take a shower with would disappear. It's just one of those weeks. And I remember they, had, they went into one of their sermon times and uh, they, the, they were in there and that gave us as counselors um, an hour, which was just like heaven on earth. An hour to, some of us would go take a nap, others would go do laundry, or, you know, if you had a boyfriend, a girlfriend there, you were at camp, that's when you got to hang out, that kind of thing. And so I had neither of those things. And so uh, I thought about taking a nap, but I decided, no, this is a really tough week. I just need to get away in the woods and read my Bible for just a little bit. And I was going through the Gospel of Matthew that summer, just my own personal devotional time, and I came here to Matthew chapter 9. And here in Matthew chapter 9, 
Jesus is healing people. He's going around teachings and teaching in towns and villages. And Jesus sees all these people. We're going to read this here in just a minute. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says that Jesus sees the crowds of people. And he was moved with compassion. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I remember reading that passage and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brought to mind these eight middle school boys that I was in charge of for the week. And they were stupid. They were dumb. Just like sheep. And I realized I needed to see these middle school boys how Jesus saw them. And all of a sudden, I was moved with compassion for them. I got to know their story. Some of them come from broken homes. Got to find out that one or two of them were in foster homes. And my whole perspective changed as I was moved with compassion. So as we talk about, as a faith family together, invite your one, but not even invite your one, having a great commission mindset, thinking like missionaries, we have to think like Jesus thinks. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9 and look at verse 35. It says this. I'm reading from the Christian, Christian Standard Bible. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his, to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So Jesus here, he's going around to these towns and these villages. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good news of how people can have a relationship with God through him. He's healing their, their, their diseases, their sicknesses to show them that he came not only to provide uh, physical health, but spiritual health. Jesus is doing all this, and then he sees the crowds. We're talking about upwards to thousands of people. And Jesus sees these crowds, and it says he felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he turns to his disciples, and as Jesus always does, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he takes this moment with these crowds, all these people around him, to teach them something. What does he teach them? He teaches them about a harvest. That there are people, Jesus describes these people as a harvest, and this harvest is abundant, but there's few workers. There's a huge problem here. So as we begin to think like Jesus thinks, as we begin to see people how Jesus sees them, let's follow a little bit of a process here when Jesus is surrounded by crowds. Now, listen, you and I may not end up like Jesus when we're surrounded by thousands of people seeking out healing. These crowds, the crowds that we might see, may be a co-worker, might be a neighbor, 
might be a family, a friend. So who are these people? First we have to ask ourselves, but Jesus, he's, he's around these crowds, and what's the first thing he did? Look at verse 36. What did he do first do? He saw. He saw these people. Jesus, when we see Jesus all throughout the New Testament, Jesus has almost like spiritual antennas up. He's constantly looking around at people. He's always got his head on a swivel, as you could say. Well, Jesus, he first sees the people. So if we want to see people how Jesus sees people, we have to see. And if we're honest, if you're like me, that's probably where I fall short. That's where I drop the ball, right? Is I just don't see. Many times I can be in a mall. I was in Oak Park Mall this week with our kids and uh, taking them to go at the play place, you know, just to give Marilyn a breather because our kids are nuts just like everyone else. I took them to Oak Park Mall and I was surrounded by people. And I remembered this passage we were going to be walking through together and I saw them. For many of us, for us to think like missionaries, for us to see people as Jesus sees them, we have to open our eyes and see them. To be made aware, because we are so often, it's so easy for us just to go about our routines of life and not even see people around us. So Jesus sees the crowd, but then it so goes, keeps going on. When he saw the crowds, he what? felt or some translations say he was moved so jesus sees people then he felt something what did he feel compassion compassion now for you and i as americans we do not want people to feel sorry for us do we right we hate that we hate that we don't want to be felt sorry for for you Anyone that feels sorry for us, just hold your sympathy. I don't need that. So I think sometimes in our culture, our culture, we're not very compassionate. We're not a very compassionate culture. But Jesus, he sees these people. He, he feels for them. He's moved to them. And he's moved to compassion. The idea behind this word compassion is that of someone hearing a baby crying, Right? When you hear a baby cry, what do you do? If you're like me, you roll over and go back to sleep, right? No. When you hear a baby cry, you do something about it. You do something about it. You get up and do So when Anna cries, our seven-month-old, when she cries, usually it's for her mother. Marilyn's not in here right now, so I have a feeling that's what happened. Why? We act upon that. We're moved to compassion for our daughter. We take care of our children. God is moved to compassion for people, and so we need to see people, and we need to be moved to compassion for them. Why? Now, this isn't the most flattering of ways to think about it, so I don't want us to be derogatory or, or offensive to people, but because they're like sheep without, like, without a shepherd. People are broken. Did you realize that? We are broken. That is one thing that we all share in is human brokenness. We all go through grief. We lose loved ones. 
Think of Susan Nitsch right now, what she's walking through with the loss of Rick. We lose loved ones. We have broken relationships. We have dysfunction in our world. We have financial issues that we can walk through. and We can just go on down the line of what brokenness looks like. That is a shared experience that every one of us go through is, is, is brokenness. Every one of, of us sitting here right now are broken. Now we have varying degrees of brokenness. Some, some of us, are broke, our brokenness is is more severe than others. There's varying degrees of brokenness, but we are all walking through brokenness. Well, as we begin to think like missionaries and think like Jesus thinks and see, see people how Jesus see, sees, we, have com- we must have compassion on people because of the brokenness of people. So just let's just think where we are right now. Never mind our neighborhoods. We'll get to that in just a second. But think of where we are right now here on the corner of 83rd and State Line. We're the church here on State Line, and you think about how much traffic right now going on behind me, in front of you, behind me, is going by our church campus. And we could easily think right now, well, why aren't they in church? What's their problem? No, 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 that's not the problem. They have a problem, and it's brokenness. Because we all have brokenness. There's people right now driving by our church campus that are walking through divorce. They're walking through a broken relationship with a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a parent, a family member. We have people driving by our church campus right now that have lost a loved one suddenly to death and their world is falling apart we have people driving by our church campus right now that are going through financial struggles they just don't know how they're going to make it we have people driving by our church campus right now that are going through cancer or some other kind of sickness and disease that will move us to compassion. You think about just in our own neighborhoods. We have neighbors going through everything that I listed off, going through the exact same thing. We live with these people. And if we're going to think like missionaries and we're going to see people how Jesus sees them, we must be moved to compassion because of their brokenness. And Jesus was often moved with compassion for people. We see that here. If we had time, we could read it. But here in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is seeing, seeing a girl. She, he restores her to health. He, see, he sees the woman who had an issue of bleeding, and she touches his robe so that she'll be made well, and Jesus heals her. Jesus was always moved to compassion And we as a church must be moved to compassion, not just to meet physical needs. So here's what's happened in the American church. Many times we stop short, we just stop at meeting people's physical needs, and we should. Don't hear me wrong. We must meet the physical needs of people. But it never stopped there with Jesus, did it? Jesus would meet physical needs in order to meet spiritual needs. Think about it in the Gospel of John. We saw this in John chapter 6. Jesus fed the 5,000, right? 
Over 5,000 people were there to hear Jesus preach and teach. And what was the issue going on with them? They were hungry. So Jesus took five loaves and two fishes and feeds the people there. And then what did he do the next day? He said, I am the what? Bread of life. Eat from me and you'll never be hungry again. Jesus said the same thing with the Samaritan woman at the well. I am the living water. Drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. Yes, Jesus met their physical needs, but it was to meet their physical needs was in order to meet their spiritual needs. We're getting ready to have this egg hunt on Saturday. The community is not here to bless us. We'd love to have them in our faith family and worship with us. But that's not the purpose of our egg hunt. We're here to bless the community. And who knows, maybe through something as simple as hunting for Easter eggs, you and I could have the opportunity to have a conversation with someone from our community here on our church campus, get to know them, and perhaps meet a need. That's what Jesus did, because he had compassion, he had broken it, because people had brokenness. And then Jesus, what did he tell his disciples? Verse 37. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So Jesus tells his disciples to look, to look out and see the harvest. Did you know that nearly, I can't remember the exact number, but nearly over 75% of people in the Kansas City metro area, that's from all the way up north to our airport, that's basically in Iowa, but that's a topic for another time, <laughs> from the airport all the way down south to like Spring Hill, Kansas, which is basically Oklahoma. So all this big area we live in in Kansas City, did you know that over 75% of, of the people in the greater Kansas City metro area are unchurched. They do not know Jesus. Many of them don't even know who he is. They may have heard of him, but don't know who he is. Faith family, the harvest is bountiful. There are hundreds of thousands of people. And you say, Adam, how do we reach the Kansas City metro area? With those hundreds of thousands, millions of people. It's through the neighborhoods. It's through our workplaces. It's through our families. And developing relationships. And showing them Christ. So as we work towards Invite Your One. And we work as a church to think like missionaries. And to see people as Jesus sees them. So their lives can be changed by Jesus. We have to see. We have to we have to that feeling has to move us to compassion and we have to understand the harvest is abundant it's right there the fruit is ripe so as we close turn over to acts chapter one so this is how jesus sees people And Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, see, we talk a lot about Easter, and Easter's great, and we're going to talk a lot about that, obviously, next week. 
We talk a lot about the birth of Christ at Christmas. But we don't talk much about the ascension, do we? We talk about the birth of Christ. We'll talk about the death and resurrection of Christ at Easter. But we don't really talk about the ascension of Christ. Actually, there is a thing called Ascension Sunday. I, didn't know if you, I don't know if you know that. But we don't talk much about the ascension. And Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he gathers his disciples together. And look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. And let's just see what Jesus tells his disciples. Remember, these same guys that were with him when he saw the crowds of people that are moved with compassion. Look at verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, that's Jesus and his disciples. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? What were they asking? What were the disciples asking Jesus? They are saying, now, are you going to bring a political revolution? They understood him to be the king, a descendant of David. And they were under the Roman Empire. And they thought that Jesus was going to bring a political revolution. And they thought that Jesus, and this is my new favorite joke, my community group teases me about this all the time, they thought Jesus was to make Israel great again. And he said, Lord, are you going to restore that? Some of you are still are not getting that. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And now some of you are just getting it. In verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But look at verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching. A cloud took them out of their sight. So here Jesus tells his disciples, you are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. Or that word witnesses is really the idea is representative. You will be my representatives in Jerusalem. So here's where they were. They were in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. That's where the church was started in the book of Acts. You can read that. They were in Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria. So those are the regions surrounding Jerusalem. And to the ends of the earth. Now, if we understand this, here's just a really quick thing on church history. I'm going to take you through about 2,000 years in about 30 seconds to a minute, okay? So buckle up. These disciples, the 11 of them, went to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And instantly, 2,000 people are saved there in Jerusalem. They were a mega church overnight. And the church and the gospel spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. It keeps going from that region there of Jerusalem there in Israel. It kept rippling out into Asia. It kept rippling out into Europe. It kept spreading east. It kept going into Africa. It kept spreading east into Europe. And this will, until, now I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding through like 1600 years, okay? But until some pilgrims came to the United States to worship. And the gospel spread to the United States. Faith family right here, because of what Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, 
you and I are sitting here today because of this. Do you see the ripple effect? One of the things my boys like to do when we go to a park or a parking lot, for that matter, is they love puddles of water, right? And so we go to a park, and there's, there could be a lake. And what, are they, what is Isaac and Seth going to do? Pick up, Seth, Isaac is going to pick up his brother and throw him in the pond, right? <laughs> Maybe. No, they're going to pick up rocks, and they're going to throw rocks into the the pond. If, they're, if we're going through a parking lot, inevitably, Seth is going to jump in that puddle of water. It's unavoidable. There's nothing we can do about it. Don't judge us as parents. You take care of your own kids. <laughs> they are inevitably going to do it. And what happens when they jump into that water is there's ripples. And I think about where you and I are in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And we're like that rock. We're that representative of Jesus. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my representatives. We're the representatives of Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, where we get our hair done. Mine looks really good, right? (laughs) We go to great clips, and we have our hair cut. And wherever we are, we are that rock, that gospel rock. And if we share the gospel and we build relationships with people, Think of the ripple effect that could happen. Because those same people are in neighborhoods, in workplaces. They have family and friends. And faith family, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, the harvest is plentiful. We have to see, we have to be moved with compassion as Jesus was moved. So as we work through his invite your one, but not just for invite your one on April 29th, but really as we as a church are moved to a great commission mindset, We must see people as they see them. And what it boils down to for you and I, we must ask Jesus to help us see them as he sees them. Oftentimes, over the last 30 or 40 years, churches have viewed people as prospects. Right? You remember that that movement, if you've ever been in church for any period of time? Our church in Birmingham used to call people prospects. And there's something about that just bothered me. It was all about building a church. Well, here at Leewood, people are not prospects. They're people. We need to see them and be moved as a church into our neighborhoods and moved with compassion. So let's think like missionaries. Let's think and see people as Jesus sees them.